0: Hello and welcome to another episode of our Brothers Creed podcast. We're talking about motivation, experiences, and we explore the world around us. We are the Thomas Brothers and I am Jared.
1: And I'm Ethan. And today we're talking about different warrior training methods and groups of warriors that have uh, let's say, particularly rigged uh, training paths or requirements, in order to become that type of warrior. I'm sure you can think of some of the most elite soldiers or warrior groups throughout history. Jared and I are going to break some of those down. What does it take to, to, to be that type of warrior? How did they get there? Maybe what was some of the training or rituals that they had to go through to achieve that, uh, that warrior name? So it's going to be a great episode. Let's get into it. Let's do it. Yeah,
0: I'm thinking I'm back. most valuable commodity I know of is information.
1: And that, my friends, is called integrity. That's called courage. Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of.
0: Either you're somebody or you're
1: nobody. You're not the devil. You're practice.
0: So I think that um, for the, when I think about just warriors and so different societies, I think that most of these warrior-type soldiers who have been trained you know, since a young age, that is almost entirely going to be uh, from history. Uh, I can't really think of very many modern day examples of, uh, you know, someone growing up in an environment like that. I mean, maybe someone who's like some kids who have been captured and radicalized in some kind of terrorist training camp with all of our U.S. equipment. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. But, you know, I can't really think of any society today that really does this or that like, People's sole purpose in their life is to be a warrior. Um, You know, most of the time, it's yeah, just people I don't know. Up.
1: I I think maybe kind of like, I don't know, one of the modern-day equivalencies are certain countries that have, like, a mandatory service requirement that you have to, like, it's like a two-years mandatory armed services yeah. requirement. But that's that's more of just, like... I wouldn't consider that like training from youth or yeah, from birth, right? That's more not. of just like, you know, fulfilling your your obligation or your...
0: Yeah, your civic duty. That's more of like the government just like flexing their muscles and saying like, if you cross us, we will send you to war and kill you. Uh, yeah. So... I mean, not that I disagree with like any type of doing service for your country. I think it's a
1: great thing. Uh, but when you make everybody do it, it, it maybe changes the, well, the tone. Well, I don't. The I, I don't think that's. I don't think mandatory inscription is is that bad of an idea. I think. I think a lot of people in the U.S. would would uh, could do to be humbled a little bit. Um, I, think, I think you're and, right. I was thinking about like think China or
0: like North Korea. You know, where like they got you under their thumb. And, you know, yeah. but isn't
1: doesn't like Switzerland have a mandatory everybody. Yeah, uh, I think like Israel does. Um, I had a true. Israel does um, when I was in South America. Um, I was good friends with a guy that was from Bolivia mm-hmm. and and um, Bolivia. They I think they had that. Uh, I don't know if Colombia might as well. So, yeah. Hmm. Well, it's either to the cartels or
0: to the government. So, <laughs>
1: <laughs> You serve one or serve the other, or you serve them both.
0: But maybe my view of like those who join is a little bit naive. I think yeah, there's multiple reasons why people join. Uh, one is people need money, uh, or they have nowhere else to go. Uh, that's where you get a lot of the arguments that, like, oh, the U.S. is sending... Um, you know, African Americans to go fight the white man's war or you know, they're sending their poor people to go fight their rich wars. That's where that argument kind of comes from. I, I think that the other t- class of people that join are like patriots. Uh, you get a lot of these folks joining up, especially after like 9-11, stuff like that. Maybe not so much anymore because it's so fuzzy, you know, what is actually defending our country versus what is just doing the government's bidding uh, for for the president or for somebody else. And then you get these uh, other folks who are just psychopaths and they want to kill in a legal way. So they join the army. (laughs) Not as many as those, but not (laughs) as many
1: of those, but I'm sure
0: that that exists. (laughs) I think I heard that in a movie, a movie once, but so I thought that was a funny one to throw in there. But, uh, but anyway, uh, so we're talking about, but we're talking about folks who have been steeped in their cultures, warrior culture since the, since uh, very early on in life, uh, one of the ones I'm going to talk about first is the Samurai. Now we actually did a full epi- episode on Samurai in the code of the Bushido, uh, which is the eight virtues of Bushido, which is a uh, kind of the virtues that a samurai lives by and espouses. So during the the feudal periods of Japan, which lasted a very long time, Uh, During the last feudal period, the Endo period, there's uh, quite a bit of information about how these samurais uh, worked and how people were trained into becoming a samurai. So the only way to become a samurai at that point was to be uh, born into a samurai family, Uh, and this is during the the last Endo period. At Other periods, uh, it wasn't exactly like that, Um, but you kind of had to be born into this nobility, or you could marry into it. Or be adopted into that family of a samurai. So when a a young boy uh reached the age of seven, he was gifted a uh a, sh- a, a short sword called a uh, I'm gonna butcher this. Kizashi. Uh starts with a W. I'm assuming the W is silent. Uh Kizashi, as I think is what it's called. Uh and he's gifted that by his father. It's like a miniature It's between like a tanto knife and a samurai sword. It's just kind of like a miniature sword. Uh, And the boy, uh, you know, it's kind of given to him as kind of his first step towards becoming a samurai. Uh, He's taken to the local school to be presented to the daimyo, who is the sword master. Uh, And the young boy would be called a chigo. Uh, That's kind of their, the young kids up until the age of about 13. Uh, so what they're expected to do, to do is they're expected to live by a very strict set of rules. I mean, these are these are just little kids. I mean, my seven, my my, one of my kids just turned seven, and so you know he can't be doing crazy stuff. He can't be just sword fighting out in the yard with himself. In fact, he took the axe out yesterday of the woodshed and started chopping one of our trees down. I'm like, why did you do that, buddy? And he's like, oh well, it's not dead until it's falled over, right? <laughs> I'm like. <laughs> Dude, <laughs> come on, man. So, yeah, there would need to be a very uh, strict set of rules. Uh, they do lots of schoolwork, mostly just memorization-type work, and they learn from the, the older kids. They do lots of chores, a strict curfew at nights and on the weekends. And like I said, they were educated by the older boys uh, that had previously gone through that program. They were also practicing martial arts uh, in a variety of different things, Some were doing bone arrows, some were doing, uh, you know, learning to ride horseback, different things. Uh, At age 13 to 14, the boy would transition to adulthood, you know, like kind of official uh, ceremony. Uh, So there's actually three ceremonies, a genpuku ceremony, which is when they're given their adult clothing and they actually choose a name uh, and they shave the front of their heads. Uh, so, an audience with a daimo, uh, daimyo and a, a formal presentation from Chingo to Nise. I think that's right. N-I-S-E. N-I-S-E, yeah. Maybe it's nice. I'll, I'll say Nise because that sounds better than just nice. Because these are badass words. Sounds more, sounds more Japanese. Yeah. Uh, the new Nise uh, spent time teaching junior students and doing jobs for the daimyo. So. That was kind of their thing. And then they also continued their martial arts training. And the samurai did not uh, practice like any martial arts that we know today, like karate or judo or whatever. Uh, the samurais actually uh, practiced kind of an older form of of martial arts as well as a lot of – when you think about it, it was more like there's actually – bow and arrow training and like spears and horseback and like all these different things. And there's different kinds of samurai and the different things that they did. So it can vary. Uh, but that's actually basically the training that they would go through. Some of these 13 year old kids were put into battle, you know? <laughs> so it's like, there's really no end to the training at, at some point from 13 on, they were thrust into battle. Uh, in some cases, even as young as 13 uh, so it uh they would just develop and grow from there in their trainings and their uh their, their learnings from their daimyo but that was how they got into it as kids uh and also i just wanted to uh, honorable mention here for the 8 virtues of bushido which is what they would live by uh, the first is justice courage uh, and then compassion respect integrity honor Loyalty and self-control. I love this and because it's like the creed of the the samurai. And I think it's so cool that they have these eight virtues laid out that each one of these boys from the age of seven espouses. And they try to show these in every action that they take, uh, both in their personal and political lives and also as warriors.
1: So pretty cool. that's pretty crazy like the the age and that's actually gonna be a common theme I think as we go through these are um just the age that some of these kids start at in their training um man it's so young it's like seven years old or eight years old yeah it's just it's just like I guess if you want to get at them young then you gotta start the training early. But yeah,
0: like in our society, we train people up to be knowledgeable about a wide variety of subjects, you know? They need to know about yeah. all kinds of things. But if you're training someone up to be a, a warrior, there's some stuff that you could probably cut corners on, you know. They probably don't yeah, need to know the Pythagorean true. theorem. They probably don't need to know uh the you know, ups the the macroeconomics, you know, supply and demand. They need to know how to slice. There's a lot of stuff you can just cut out when you only have one purpose in life. Uh, and I think we've, in the modern era, uh, we sometimes veer from that, except for a lot of times we do see this kind of training when you have a father who is in an, in an industry, and he trains his son or daughter up in that same industry. And that's where you see a lot of this generational wealth and yeah. a lot of times it's because these kids have been trained since they were very little how to do this stuff, and they continue into the in into the father's ba- business, and that's where that wealth. They already step into it knowing a whole lot uh, that you know a lot of other people didn't grow up doing. You know, think about like the Rothschilds. Think about uh, you know Rockefellers or or even Trump. You know, like he kind of got yeah. a, a, a one million dollar loan from his dad and and you know, that kind of thing. And he had already been kind of in the business, been around it. You think about lots of dentists and chiropractors and small family doctors' offices, where they get father-son, or plumbing, even like plumbing businesses. You know, this kind of stuff where there's like a a continuation.
1: Yeah, I was watching a video somewhere. It was talking about like the continuation of something like that. He's like, you know, if if your dad is uh, you know, in in, in this in this day and age, everyone is con- encouraged. You can do anything you want you can be any anyone you want to be you can do anything you want to do and and you know whatever else but it was like there's nothing more powerful than just generational progression and and literally it's like a snowball of like my dad did this and he started this and then I got into it and then when he passed it down to me and I got my sons into it and then we grew it and grew it and grew it and, grew it and just snowballs into something that could be massive generational yeah Totally, Um, but that's interesting. Yeah, the samurai man; those are some, those are some bad dudes. Yeah, Uh, and and, I mean, I would say probably some of those thirteen-year-olds or whatever you're saying they're going to war. Those guys are probably. I mean, mean, they they got more training and combat training than than some farmer I do. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, and so it's like, I mean, to be completely honest, I wouldn't want to meet one of those kids on the battlefield. No. no.
0: Well, maybe a 13 year old I would, but like a 16, 17 year old? I mean, it's like right now, and uh, I go to jujitsu, there's like a 16 year old and a 17 year old. Uh, the Well, this one kid, he's 17, he's like a junior in high school, and he works at Harris Teeter uh, bagging groceries. And he is a, a blue belt, and he's good, man. Like, he taps me all the time, and I'm like, Dang, dude! He's just a kid, you know. So, yeah. hey, if you got the right training, it doesn't matter. Uh, I mean, we're, we're relatively the same size. I mean, he might be—he's wider than I am, uh, but still, he's—he's a—he is a formidable a force to be reckoned with.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's crazy. <clears throat> um, so the the one that I had, so Jared is the samurai. Uh, the next one that I did was I went into a little bit deeper into the Spartan warriors um obviously the the spartan culture and and i think we've kind of dug into this a little bit um in previous episodes about um kind of more 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 of the culture and some of the stories that we've told um but i wanted to drill down specifically into kind of the early days of spartan training and then how that kind of develops into them joining the um I don't know. Let's call it the, the military uh, at that time. So, um, Spartans were uh, their training game began at the age of seven, when the boys were taken from their families and placed in a state-run education system called the agogi, and this agogi was overseen by really strict instructors who taught the boys everything from reading, writing, arithmetic, to physical training, to weapons handling, all the way to military tactics. And so during their their time from seven years old, uh, during their time at the Agogi, there's a couple different stages of the Agogi, and we'll get to those, but um, the how they started off and how they lived their life while they were there was they lived in barrack-type systems, so it was kind of like a uh, um, uh, military school, I guess you could say, uh, but they were given minimal clothing, minimal food and shelter. And they did this with the intent of toughening them up and teaching them to endure hardship. Um, so I was just like, man, from hmm. the get-go, it's just rough. Yeah. Uh, they're not getting enough to eat. They're cold. They're not comfortable in their living situations. And they're constantly encouraged to fight. So it says they were encouraged to fight amongst themselves. Oh. To develop a sense of competitiveness and aggression, so infighting was completely encouraged.
0: That's interesting.
1: Uh, well, that's uh, you know that's philosophy is absolutely
0: opposite of the philosophy today. You know,
1: but yeah. Does everybody be nice and everybody's comfortable and they, is everybody doing okay? Well, did you have kids like killing themselves
0: back then? You know, I wonder if that was a, a thing. I'm sure.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm sure you had people running. You know, or you had, but the thing is, these kids are like seven years old. I mean, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. Um, so, as they passed through the agogi, uh, they were given more demanding and more physically rigorous training, such as long distance running, wrestling, a mastery of mar- martial arts. They were also trained in using weapons such as spears, shields, swords, kind of all of the, the, the Spartan weaponry that you think of when you think of the 300. Um, that was just a, yeah. uh, a glimpse of the the Spartan army. So in this Agogi, the, they began when they were seven years old, And it lasted until they were 20 years old, at which they became full-fledged Spartan citizens and members of the Spartan army. So if they did not graduate from the Agogi, then they were not considered full-fledged Spartan citizens and not members of the army. And so many times they were uh, shamed uh, let's see. It says boys who failed to meet the standards of the agogi were often shamed and ostracized by their peers, and in some cases they were expelled from Sparta altogether. So that's pretty brutal. Yeah, I mean, can you imagine? Yeah, how how tough it would have been for these kids. Um, but at the same point, I would and maybe it's part of their culture, but I would think as a parent that would kind of be tough too to you know have your child Shunned. torn away from you at yeah 7 years old and thrown into this brutal lifestyle is this all children or is this just some children i think it's just male child all male children well
0: what about like the politicians and stuff like that that weren't spartan warriors
1: Oh, i think they still had to i think they still had to train um I mean, it it was my impression. What about the
0: farmers? Are like you know, interesting.
1: Yeah, I and and maybe they still, maybe they still graduated from this, but they, um, but they didn't join the military service. Maybe they had other duties. Actually, you know what? I think a lot. I think Sparta, Sparta had tons of slaves. Um, hmm. and I think they had their slaves do a lot of farming and, and different things like that, uh, for them. Obviously you have politicians. Uh, I, I do know that some Spartan warriors and generals became politicians yeah. as well, but I, there, there had to have been maybe some deeper kind of ranks and and stuff. Cause I mean, some people were just not as good as fighting as other, as other people. Yeah. Um, so the, the first stage um, of the gogi, they were in there. They were young. They were just learning. This was called the the Pidis uh, It was focused on basic education and physical training. It was to kind of teach them reading, writing, math, uh, and then just get them strong, as well as all sports and physical activities. So this was just to help kind of develop their coordination and their minds and and, and everything else. Uh, build that sense of competitiveness, and they were encouraged to fight. Like I would said before, because uh, they were trying to develop a sense of aggression in them at all times. Um, that would they were constantly encouraged to have these uh, like mock battles or kind of encouraged different scenarios that would cause these boys to be in competition with each other, uh, just to these contests that would kind of simulate battle to a certain extent uh the hmm. second stage of of the gogi was called the paedominos and that involved more advanced physical training and then started the actual military instruction uh the boys wow. then and this is, uh, probably has to do with their ages i don't have the exact age bands but Um, you know, obviously, as they as they progress through, uh, would be as they get older. Um, In this second stage, they were trained in the spear, the sword, and the shield, and to fight in the phalanx formation, which is you know what we know the um, the Spartan warriors fought with. It was like this special sword and shield uh, combination formation that they that they fought in. Yeah, uh, that was brutal. And then the also in this stage, they were taught military tactics and strategies and, and as well, the importance of discipline and loyalty to the state. The third stage of the Agogi was the Irene. And this was the most grueling and demanding of all. Uh, These were obviously the older candidates, uh, the older students, this involved cadets, much more intense if you will. <laughs> yeah cadets i guess yeah much more intense physical training and endurance tests and other challenges designed to specifically test the boys strength courage and loyalty um kind of uh, and i don't know if this particular i tried to look up some of the challenges that it talked about but i couldn't really specifically find any um but you think of like the beginning of 300 how the boy had to go out with like just a spear and um, he had to kill a wolf. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I s- suspect they were kind of similar to maybe survival or feats of strength or kind of coming of man type things that they had to do. Um, hmm. So once they got past that and, and that that final stage, they got to the point to where they would graduate and become full uh, Spartan warriors, full-fledged members of society, and they would uh, be highly respected by the rest of the community. So in, I guess, five or six bullet points of the things that they taught in this Spartan school, the agogi was physical training, weapons training, military tactics, wrestling, endurance, discipline and uh, agnostic training which involves engaging in like competitions such as races wrestling boxing uh, fostering a, uh, a competitive spirit yeah to, to develop aggression so, Imagine doing all of that, for let's see, from the age seven to the age of twenty. So for thirteen years, that was your entire life, all day, every day. I mean, you'd be hard. You'd be you'd be a bad dude when you came out of that, man.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's crazy. Well, I wouldn't want to go up against someone like that. That's been, you know, training for all these years, just ready to unleash. All this pent up yeah. anger and rage and trauma from their
1: childhood. <laughs> Seriously, well, and, I, and I liked what you said before I ended there. Was is you'd be hard? I bet you these. I bet you these guys were hard, man. I bet you they were hard and and physically, emotionally. I mean, I bet you they were. I don't know. Yeah, how how could I mean in in today's day and age? They've, you know, they want they put kitty litter in in the bathrooms because kids are too scared to use the toilets or think their cats or they something identify like as that. cats yeah yeah it's just like dude <laughs> you know they need like crying booths in school and it's yeah, just like or or
0: or college kids even melt down at even the someone sharing an opposite opinion or being in their safe space you know yeah so
1: i'm not saying that we should take these guys as kids. <laughs> that we should, we, that we should uh, you know, I think there's a balance, right? I don't know if this uh, Spartan way is the way that needs to be done. But you got to think, too, that in this time period, their entire life was war. That's all they knew. Mm-hmm. That's all everyone knew. I mean, the the, war, the world was just constantly in war. It was just, just constantly groups of people taking people over. The Spartans, the the, the Athenians, the... Um, Whatever the different groups are that are, uh, the yeah well the, Persians eventually right yeah the, yeah the Persians the Greeks you know yeah. they're all just killing each other trying to to get land and everything else so literally if you want to survive you need to either have a ton of people you know the Persian army just had like conquered billions of them. people or you um, need absolute monsters
0: yeah seriously so make them a monster from just the start you know yeah interesting. That's cool. Well, I had the next warrior that I had was the Apache warrior. So the Apache um, were an American Indian Native American Indian tribe uh, that had some pretty cool tactics and techniques uh, and ways of training up their their younglings. So Apache warriors could be both men and women. Uh, they could both become warriors. And their training began at a young age. Uh, many of their toys were mock weapons like bows and arrows and spears uh, so that they could kind of get used to uh, playing with weapons of war. Uh, one of the main things about the Apache is they wanted to reach peak physical condition. That was one of their trainings. And so in some of the trainings that they would do with these uh, young boys or girls, it could be both, uh, they would have them run up hillsides with a mouth of mouthful of water to learn the correct breathing through your nose. Uh, I know Ethan and I recently read that book. Uh, what was it called? Jaws. Jaws. About yeah. your oral facial health and how breathing through your nose is so important. Uh, and so they, they had it. They had it right. Yeah, they absolutely did. Helps your jaw your jaw grow better and lots of different stuff. So, but also helped with endurance. Uh, is doing that. Uh the boys were hardened through wrestling games, mock battles, uh taught by their relatives geography, um, like attributes of, of the land and war, uh and then the sanctity of their surroundings. Uh, they were as they were coming of age, uh the uh, um the coming of age trial for a warrior was to run for 2 days straight with no food and no sleep. So that's pretty brutal. It's kind of like that last like Spartan uh, trial when they get to be like a teenager, right? If they were yeah. low on water while doing something strenuous, such as climbing a mountain, they would put a pebble in their mouth and breathe only through their nose. So it's kind of just don't, not letting that water escape out of your mouth. Uh, they were also trained to be able to lie completely still and disappear into their surroundings. Uh, they would toughen their bodies by uh diving into frozen rivers. So, they that Wim Hof method going on. They got that ninjutsu uh <laughs> about uh disappearing in in their surroundings. Uh once introduced the once they got introduced by, to horses by the Spanish, they really took to horsemanship uh in America. And They uh, had already been masters of the bow and arrow, but once they were introduced to their firearms uh, and rifles, uh, they became proficient very quickly. Uh, So, kind of a cool training. I thought it's pretty cool about the one where they, you know, run them for two days with no sleep and no water uh, across like a, a... Territory. What's that show against the crooked sky where the kid has to run? Like, it, you remember? It was like
1: a. I can't. I can't. I know it, you're talking about, but I can't remember the.
0: Yeah, it was a movie. And there was like a kid, and he had to. He had to, like, it was with an Indian tribe, and he had to beat the sun on, like, the next day, sunrise, as it, as it came up, and, like, it drew a line across this rock. And he had to, like, run and race against the time and get across the finish line to save his family or something like that. Uh, anyway, I just remember the end. That was a old-school classic. Pulled that one out of the archive. <laughs>
1: um, the childhood memories. Yeah,
0: exactly. Uh, but one famous Apache that you may have heard of is a guy named Geronimo. Have you ever heard that? Yep. So Geronimo was an Apache medicine man who, after having his family killed, turned to fighting and the Apache Wars against Mexico, so the Apache fought the Mexican army. Well, at that time, it was kind of more the Spaniards, um, similar to how the Comanches uh, did it. The Comanches were also another warrior society. Uh, we talked about the Comanches though in, in a different episode, I think. In, until, invading and raiding into Mexico. Oh yeah. So, and uh, his so Geronimo, in his despair, he heard he like basically went to the mountaintop and he and he heard a voice. On the wind that told him, "You will never die in battle, nor will you die by gun. I will guide your arrows." And so he believed that to be you know a charge to, to go into battle and he just had no regard for his life because he believed that was from like a divine voice that he heard on the wind. So during a battle that he was fighting with the Mexicans, uh, Geronimo did not fire arrows from cover as many other Apache did. Instead, he ran zigzag at the Mexican soldiers so as not to be hit by their bullets. He would then kill them with a knife and take their rifles back to the Apache warriors, as he did not work as he didn't know exactly how to use the rifle at that point. So the Mexican soldiers began to sh- shout "Geronimo" to warn each other of his charges. Uh, the origins of the word still have you know are, are still kind of. Unknown, but I think that's where it might be come from, is those Mexican soldiers yelling, Geronimo, And th- when he was coming at him doing the zigzag, you know. Uh, and the, the the Apache, or they're sometimes also referred to as the Chiracua Apache, uh, began to chant the name in enthusiasm and in intimidation. So they would chant Geronimo. Uh, cause, so the guy was fearless, uh, and he had, had just had kind of run that zigzag pattern, run up right over to where they were take their kill them and take their guns almost like you know that like trench warfare almost you know just run up and kill yeah. them and grab them and run them back you know and uh that's so pretty cool uh, it reminds me of a scene from band of brothers where there's like this one sergeant and he's trying to give orders to the guys across the way and they're like in a firefight and he literally just like runs straight, straight over to him, like right in front of the Germans, and they were so stunned, they just look at him. They're like, "What the heck?" And he runs over to the other like uh, little bunker area where the other guys are at and tells them what to do. And he just ran like literally like five feet away from the Germans, and they were like so stunned they didn't even do anything. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's the Apache yeah. warriors. And I didn't know that Geronimo was an Apache, but he was. You know, he wasn't a, like a warrior from the beginning, but uh he he definitely became a warrior at the end of his life
1: yeah that's cool that's that's pretty crazy how you know some of those like traditions and stuff develop like you know running up the hill with water in your mouth and and these different things that um i mean to a certain extent they did those things because they probably worked to yeah. a certain extent or i mean they made you tougher they didn't kill you or if they weren't, you know, overly harmful or risky then you know, I, I there's probably a reason. Yeah. Um and so, you know, whether yes, making them training them to breathe through their nose or um for, you know, oxygen uh, training under oxygen deprivation or or just being quiet uh, too. You know, if you're trying to sneak up on yeah. someone in the woods and you're mouth breathing, they're going to hear you, man. Yeah, that's true too. So, so just hopefully it didn't have to do it with a sinus infection. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's some definite yeah. wisdom in these old
0: cultures too. I think sometimes we we as modern people think we're so sophisticated or whatever, but you know, there's a lot of wisdom that has been lost to the ages. There's probably more wisdom yeah. that's been lost to the ages
1: than we know right now. Uh, and yeah. so, well, I think it was under kind of the the weird therapies episode we talked about. Um, I, I talked a little bit about wives' tales mm-hmm. and uh, just kind of these old, you know weird sayings that, that people have that, Oh, when you're sick, do this or don't do that or whatever else. And for some reason, a lot of times they work, well, it's kind of trial and error. And they just, so that worked one time and then you kept doing it and doing it and doing it, doing it. And it seems to work every time. So, um, yeah, I, I agree with you sometimes, you know, our, our science is just proving sometimes what these people have been doing for hundreds of years. So it's like a modern-day wives' tale for your experience recently, Ethan.
0: If your child is acting sick, do not take them to the Golden Corral.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, he wasn't acting sick until afterwards, but, I mean, that's probably a sign, too. And and if if he says he has a stomachache, put a bucket next to the bed and tell him, if you have to throw up, throw up in the bucket, not not on the floor next to the bucket. Oh, uh, poor so, guy. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> Uh, so the last one that I had was this one, there's, there's not a ton of information around the specific training, um, that they would do, but I've always been super interested in, uh, something that's called the Praetorian Guard. So the Praetorians or the Praetorian Guard was a special elite unit of soldiers that served as personal bodyguards to the Roman emperor. And so they were first established in 27 BCE by, uh, by Augustus, who was the first Roman emperor. And he named the Praetorian Guard after uh, what was called the Praetorium, which the Praetorium is the tent of the Roman general that served as his kind of headquarters during battle. So the the Roman general, his, his headquarters, his tent was called the Praetorium. And so that's where the Praetorian Guard came from. So nice. at its peak, the Praetorian Guard contained about 9,000 soldiers who were very specifically and meticulously selected for their loyalty, discipline, and combat skills. Uh, They were highly trained in martial arts and weapons handling, and were equipped with the best weapons and armor available at the time. So it it kind of made me think of the, um, what was uh, in the Game of Thrones, the guys that, the group of of knights that guarded the the main area. Um the knights that guarded the, um yeah like the king what was it the oh oh you're talking about the knights guard or no 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 yeah, no the king's no, ni- guard the king's guard that's what it was or like the guys <laughs>
0: in the red suits that were in Star Wars uh that protected the Emperor the Emperor yes. Snope
1: Yes yeah um so they were kind of kind of like that, right? They were just like the I guess the 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 best of the best soldiers. And so I think it's kind of interesting too because it says they were trained in martial arts and it said the the uh, the Spartans were trained in martial arts as well. Um and then it said the Japanese were trained in martial arts as well. Now, I don't know what martial arts meant back you know, hundreds or even <laughs> thousands of years ago. I mean, the Japanese I kind of understand maybe, but what kind of martial arts were um, Romans trained in? Well, maybe just were, wrestling and you know, uh, you know,
0: I mean, I guess boxing, hand to hand combat kind of a thing. You know,
1: I mean, I, I mean, I'm sure that I mean fighting was more prevalent then than it is now. So, I mean, I guess you had people like in, you had people in the the coliseums and in. Um, you know, the uh, uh, gladiators and everything else, like, you didn't have people that were fighting for sport. You had people that were fighting for their life. Yeah. So maybe it was even more serious. But um, the uh, Praetorian was, so in addition to their role as bodyguards for the Roman emperor, they served as the private army for the emperor himself, as well as they were responsible for maintaining order in the city of Rome. So they were kind of like that knight, that, that, that uh, guard, right? They maintained the, they maintained order in Rome as well as they were the private army for the emperor. So that was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, they is kind of interesting too. a little bit more about them is they actually held a lot of significant political power and influence, um in the roman empire and there's actually uh, um they got involved unfortunately or fortunately i don't know depending on who you were in some of the selection and deposition of some of the emperors um there was one famous story that i was reading about um of basically the the leader of the praetorian guard He was loyal to, there was two guys that were potentially supposed to become the next emperor. And the one guy that became emperor was not the guy that the leader of the Praetorian Guard thought should become emperor. And so they basically formed up a coup and made it so that they ended up killing this guy. And then gave it to the other guy. So they kind of just chose who they wanted to be emperor.
0: Hmm. Interesting.
1: Um, so they were uh, notorious for their involvement in numerous conspiracies and assassinations throughout Roman history. Uh, but they lasted for about 300 years, which is kind of cool. It's uh, quite the uh, so legacy, was, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of history there. Um. A- until Constantine actually disbanded them and replaced them with what they called the new Imperial Guard. Um, That's what they're calling uh, maybe Star Wars. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So they, despite a lot of the kind of the controversial reputation that the the Praetorian Guard had, uh, it still remains as one of the most elite fighting uh, forces in in all of history, at least Roman history, for sure. Um, and I was actually thinking about this, too, and it was really interesting. There's this YouTube channel that you can go to, and I can't remember the name of it, but basically it shows, like, you can, like, it's a computer simulation, and it's computer-generated, and you can, like, have two different types of enemies battle. Mm-hmm. And there's all of these metrics that go into, like, You know, what kind of weapons they have, they get certain values, and what kind of armor they have, they get certain values, and what kind of training they get a certain level of value. And so, um, you know, obviously, like, there's anything from, like, I don't know, maybe a, a medieval archer right, to all the way up to, you could have a medieval knight, or you could have samurais, you could have Spartan warriors, you could have, you know, all these all the way up to Chuck Norris, who wins all (laughs) fights that he fights, and so, but, you know, this guy on YouTube, he does like, you know, a a hundred, or maybe a hundred thousand medieval knights versus a hundred thousand samurai, and then he'll have them fight, and then it's kind of, you can see him fighting, and in the different tactics and stuff, and. It's just kind of interesting, huh. um, but it just made me think: who would win in a battle between a lot of these, you know, different different groups of people? So, well, the broadsword
0: would have absolutely trashed the samurai, the katana. But those yeah.
1: two groups never really fought each other. Um, no, no, they wouldn't. But, but the, but the samurai had they had amazing like battlefield tactics and their swiftness and. And their their bow and arrows and yeah, I mean it, it depends on like how you're doing. If you're doing like a head to head battle, like in the
0: open field, uh, I'd take an armored up uh, knight over a samurai, uh, just because yeah, you know the whole pro- point of a broadsword is to pierce armor. Uh, you're not going to get that with a,
1: a a katana. Yeah, I guess I don't know, but you know the yeah. the. Praetorians. Once they were selected, they went through a pretty like a whole secondary round of of training. Yeah, yeah. Where they underwent rigorous training, martial arts training again, weapons handling, and hand to hand combat. Um. So, how can we apply this to our own personal creeds? Number one, uh, it's just freaking awesome to know this stuff. Uh, and history is cool. But also, I think that we can learn from kind of the the. You know, the, the elite in history, uh, you know, you think today you have maybe the elite fighting forces are the Navy SEALs or the the Russian Spetsnaz or the Green Berets, you know, the, or, yeah. the Green Berets or and, and all these different people. But how can we still apply, you know, some of the or they, the oh, oh, you that... forgot
0: one, you forgot one special forces group, uh, the the guys from India on camelbacks. With uh, rocket launchers, with oh, like,
1: <laughs> with, yeah, with, <laughs> with mortars on the back of camels. Back of camels. <laughs> Sorry, go yeah. ahead. You're making a point. <laughs> uh, no, I was just saying, how can we apply some of these things? And I think one of the uh, biggest things for me that I got as I was reading through this was uh, discipline, right? It was it was these people, they just repetitive training and discipline. Mm -hmm. Uh, They had a goal in mind and some, some of them were probably forced into this right at an age of seven. They probably didn't have much of a choice to go into the Spartan training school, Mm -hmm. but uh, they were forced into or made the decision to go down this path and they were disciplined or they had to be disciplined to survive yeah and so how can we be disciplined you know this, this that's the my word of the year is discipline yeah. and uh some days i'm really good at it good at it some days i'm not as really good at it uh but hopefully by the end of the year i will have come a lot closer to mastering discipline um I, that was kind of the word that i took away from this is the, the, these are some some bad dudes and, and i think they got that way in many different ways, bad dudes is in. They were they were, you know, strong and fast and quick and good at fighting. But I'm pretty sure too they were probably super smart. Yeah. Um, and I I think I can do that same thing through discipline. Yeah.
0: I I think that we can apply this to our creed because these civilizations brought these people up for a single purpose, uh, and that was to kill, but what what should we bring our kids up to? What if we brought our kids up to a single purpose and that purpose was to make the world better or to, uh, to lift those up around them? Uh, I think that when you have a specific goal in mind for the type of man or woman, uh, in some cases, that you want to uh, create uh, with it, not even create, I think that when you raise children, they're all very different. Develop. You yeah, can develop, develop, develop them uh, towards similar goals, and then they can use each of their unique skills and their unique personalities uh, to go towards that goal, to to bless the lives of, of others and, uh, and the whole world. And so I think that as fathers and parents, it's important for us to train our kids up, uh, and I think through discipline. I think giving our kid kids measure doses of struggles. Uh, and, and each one of these, you know, there's an aspect of making them struggle, um, pushing them, uh, and sometimes at the edge of their limits. Uh, I think that it is beneficial and you can do that with any goal that you have, whether that's to make them a fighting machine, because that's what's needed most needed in the world at the time, or if that's to make them a uh, and a, a a a gatherer of men or a uh, a peacemaker or someone who has enough guts to go out there and boldly declare to the world what it is uh, that needs to happen to uh, to turn things around or to get on the right track or someone who can speak truth uh, so i think that those are things that we can aspire to yeah i completely agree Well, excellent. Uh I think this has been a great episode. Uh, lots of cool stuff. Love reading the history. Uh just can, can imagine a lot of these different things going on and uh and uh, be pretty cool. Uh we should uh it'd be pretty pretty cool to get like a Praetorian uh patch, you know, and uh put it on uh you know, or like an elite special forces, they get a Praetorian patch or something like that for <laughs> For doing the special yeah. mission or something,
1: yeah. No, that's cool. Yeah, we should do like a, a Brothers Creed Praetorian T shirt or something.
0: Oh yeah, that'd be sweet. We could do the
1: Warrior series. Probably, Praetorian is probably trademarked or something like that, though. I don't think by the who the Romans. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I get to get the, tr- the, tr- the trademark has uh, run its course.
1: <laughs> so. Yeah, it's sued by Little Caesars.
0: <laughs> All right, fellas. Well, let's. Uh, Thanks for joining. Uh, thanks for listening, and let's build that creed together.
1: All right, let's do it.